You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast, the Bucks on the Pond podcast, as Scott came up with. And uh, a few weeks ago, I don't even know if we've officially rolled with that, Scott, but that's what I guess we're going to use it as a secondary name for now. And then we got to rebrand this offseason. But uh, it's good to be back, guys. Uh, Steve and I go with you, host of the podcast, joined by Scott Lorbatcher, Jonathan Wagner. Jonathan is multitasking, he's watching the Carolina Hurricanes play the Islanders. So, if he zones out, we'll forgive him. Uh, he's a big, <laughs> big, uh, big Canes guy. So uh, before we get into bashing Cincinnati, bashing umpires, and bashing collegiate baseball, and talking ECU baseball, how how are the Canes doing, Wags? It has been a good start. They're up two to one right now in the second intermission. So we get to start the show with a little, a little bit of a break. But the Canes have played well. Good start, and the the refs are definitely on the Canes side early on, which is always good and not always the case so yeah all right let's do it yeah there's a lot going on mlb uh the reds will try not to get walked off tonight live on the air things are looking pretty good there right scott we're doing the the best we can hunter green left the game in the third inning so um with every good thing that happens for the reds we have to take take a lump with it so we'll keep it going as long as we can Speaking of uh, shitty Cincinnati baseball teams, uh, <laughs> let's uh, – all right, we got to talk about um, – no disrespect to the Bearcats, but Scott Guggins has brought in some pretty good teams to Clark Clare Stadium in the past, but they looked awful this weekend. And, look, I, I know by saying this, people are going to be like, well, you know, the Pirates got to go to Ohio. They got to play Cincinnati three more times. And I'm not saying Cincinnati can't beat ECU because they certainly can – It'll be on the road. It's baseball. But we've talked about, guys, how bad this conference is, and we'll get into ECU here in a minute. But I want to start with just what – I don't know what Cincinnati was trying to accomplish this weekend. Like, I remember some of their arms last year were pretty decent, and all of a sudden this Jackson – I think it's Jackson Murphy guy comes out of the bullpen throwing like 83 miles an hour as a sidewinder. Their defense was bad. Uh, They couldn't throw strikes. They're hitting – is okay, but home run or bust, it seems like, to a lot of a lot of teams. So credit to ECU for beating them all three games. Scott, uh, we'll start with you because uh, I know you're a Cincinnati guy through and through. So how, how can you defend the Bearcats this weekend? Uh, I, I won't even try. I think you could – in all honesty, though, I think there may be a cultural problem in Cincinnati. If you look at some of their issues, um, you know, in, in game two – how many times did runners advance bases or even almost score because they're just lobbing the ball around the infield? That's just a lack of, you know, focus and, you know, accountability being had within that team to say, you know what, once that happens, it shouldn't happen again. Um, And for it to happen multiple times in a single game is really kind of, you know, embarrassing for them. And I would hope that, you know, in the future, that's not something that they have to deal with and, um, I don't know much about Guggins. Um, I know he did get fired up at one point this weekend, but you know, maybe he can can change that culture. I know they had their best player leave in the transfer portal and end up at Tennessee, um, which has to be tough too. So you know, they're going to the Big Twelve where they're going to be playing really, really good teams every week. 
So they better get it turned around fast or they're going to be in a world of hurt next season. As always, leave your comments, questions. We already got a few checking in, uh, watching the Hurricanes game, and as Jonathan is as well, as he's multitasking. Uh, leave your comments and questions. We'll get to them throughout the show. Like, subscribe on YouTube, like us on Facebook, share us on Facebook. Um, just continue to get those numbers up. Uh, the interest continues to grow in ECU baseball. As the season goes on, the Pirates are up to number seven nationally in D1 baseball. I guess ranked as high as six, according to the uh, National Collegiate uh, Baseball Writers Poll. Uh, one poll that shall go nameless ranks ECU 14th. Um, what the hell are they doing out there, Wags? They're, if you if you look at it, yeah, I know I know Scott looks at it a lot. I know I look at it a lot. Just college baseball as a whole, top 25 as a whole. There, there's no explanation whatsoever for ECU really being outside of the top 10 right now, let alone down at 14. And it, I, I can't even come up with a reasonable, you know, reason for why collegiate baseball just sucks as much as they do. But, <laughs> I mean, here we are. We have the same conversation every single year. And I think it gets worse. And – I just I don't see ECU at fourteen. I I don't think there's an argument, not with how they played right late, lately. So I don't understand. I don't think anybody understands that really tries to, and I don't think there's any way to really back it. So here's the big question, guys, and good luck answering this. What or what entity or which person or what collective unit had the worst performance of the weekend? Collegiate baseball. <laughs> Cincinnati Bearcats baseball or the umpiring crew that officiated the weekend series. Any, uh, any, any clear answer there? Is it a three-way tie? I, I think, I think there's one very, very clear answer there. And it is the first base umpire from Friday night's game. And I'm going to point to one specific example. Cincinnati's at the plate. They hit just a towering fly ball on the right field. And it looked to me sitting on the first base side that the ball was fair. That was a home run and cool. And, you know, watching that perfect, perfect spot for either the first base umpire who should make the call or the home plate umpire to at least have an idea. But when the first base umpire turned around from looking for the ball, he clearly never saw it. He didn't signal home run. He didn't signal a foul ball. He didn't signal he, – he literally signaled, I don't know. He turned around and put his arms like this and said, I don't know. And it's like, how the hell can you do that? You at least got to make a call. Even if you don't see it, at that point, you just got to give a bit of the doubt. That's a home run. And at least just the fact that he turned around and said, I don't know, I could not believe it. And then he went and called Saturday's game. I watched that in the background. But I can only imagine that – he just looked like he would be an awful umpire behind home plate. And I imagine he was. So, but that was just, it was baffling to me. He just literally turned around and said, I don't know if it was a home run or not. At least that's what the indication I was given when I was sitting there in the stands. And I, I, just, I can't believe that's happening. It's, it's so stupid to me. So I think that, that, that takes cake, the cake for me. You know, it's bad when coach O is ragging on not only uh, Cincinnati, <laughs> but also the umpires and, I think it was Sunday's game. There was a, a fly ball that ended up being scored a sack fly where the guy caught it but dropped it on the transfer. That was the, the, the official ruling, but there was there was no ruling during the play. Like, it just happened. And usually, you know, you have the umpire saying, like, no catch or, like, he's out, and then he lost it on the transfer. Instead, the umpires just sat there and didn't make a call. Uh, and then Coach O was like, how can you review a play – that doesn't have a call on the field uh, because then you don't know whether to uphold it or, you know, confirm it or deny it, whatever. So Scott, we saw a little bit of everything. And I, I think just shady, I don't know if shady is the right word. I guess just incompetent umpiring continues to be a theme. For sure. Just, you have to make a call, you know, the, in the first game, you have a situation where you, the umpire just throws his hands up and game three, I don't think I've ever heard Coach O go after the umpires on the radio broadcast. And I was listening to the the first half of that game on the way home, um, and 
Coach, I mean, he was just like, it's been all weekend. And he never goes into that. And if you if you've somehow made Coach O upset from the radio booth, then I, I don't know how anybody else could have a worse weekend than you. Yeah, there's no doubt. All right, we can sit here and talk about this stuff all day, but we better talk about actual uh, good things, and that is ECU baseball guys winning four consecutive games this week on top of 4-0 last week, uh, back-to-back 4-0 weeks, eight wins in a row. They sweep the eight-game homestand. They have not lost since the Houston series. So since you guys hosted a podcast and just ripped every player on the team, uh, the Pirates are unbeaten. Uh, so kudos to you guys for doing that. Um, so 28 and eight back in first place, seven and two in the conference. And let's just go quickly kind of round the table, big, big takeaways from this week. We'll start with Jonathan. You know, you can go big picture, specific player, just what stood out about the Pirates win over ODU and then the sweep over Cincinnati. Yeah, I think there were a couple of things. I think to me, the big thing was the offense. And I think this is something I have talked about before. But you can chalk it up to bad pitching, and Cincinnati's pitching was bad. But that doesn't take away that ECU still did the best with what they faced, ECU's offense. And I think that was a big takeaway this year. And really, ECU's offense has kind of come alive, and they've done it without their best hitter. Jacob Jenkins-Coward hasn't been in the lineup. And I really think they found a nice mix in a nice order right now with you know Carter Cunningham in a two-hole has exceeded my expectations right there. I think he's really stepped up. Lane Hoover has been still red hot lately this weekend. Um, he made a couple of great plays in left field, too. And so maybe he can play the field, and that's important now. And I think pitching-wise, we saw what it looks like when the starting rotation isn't perfect. Carter Spivey was close to perfect, but Trey Savage wasn't. Josh Gross wasn't. And ECU still pretty much cruised to victories in those games. And so I think it was nice to see – bullpen step up and win games and the offense be the sole reason for victories. And again, that's excluding Carter Spivey, but really it wasn't a perfect weekend for ECU, but they did the best with what they could. And again, we talked about it last week, but they're doing it without some important players because injuries continue to pile up. And I'm, I'm really impressed with what I'm seeing all around. And once this team does get healthy, I think the peak is still something we haven't seen yet. Scott, any, uh, Extra thoughts there, echoing anything Wag said? Sure. You look at it, uh, over those four games, we trailed for just half an inning. Uh, I think that's a big deal. Then uh, Cincinnati starters, we only allowed them to go seven and two-thirds uh, for some context. Carter Spivey went seven by himself, and it only took him 83 pitches. So, you know, just an all-around great week. Um, you know, obviously, when you Savage and Groves don't have their best stuff and the offense steps up, they scored 39 runs in four games. Um, and didn't play, you know, seven and a half innings or seven half innings because of run rules or, you know, just being in the lead at the end of the game. So, you know, just an offensive explosion. The bats are starting to come around at the right time. We're about to go on the road for maybe the toughest five-game stretch that we have this season. And, you know, it looks like we're, as a team, we're really hitting our stride. Yeah, just a, a phenomenal thing as far as the offense getting going. And that was kind of my biggest takeaway as you guys hit on it. But the the starting pitching, we've talked about it all year, maybe not necessarily being as dominant as it has been. And, and really it didn't matter because ECU's offense was electric. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's Scott or Wags or, or both of you guys, but you all have kind of talked about when the weather heats up, you know, the pirate bats get going, the ball starts flying out of the yard, Clark Claire Stadium plays much different when warm weather, uh, typically the wind blowing out. We saw four consecutive multi-home run games this week by ECU. Many of those left-handed hitters uh, hit the ball out to right field. So we're starting to see the power. The team continues to get on base at a high rate, which has been a strength for the team all year. You know, many of their losses, they just haven't gotten the big clutch hit or the, you know, the extra base hits. And now that that's coming, you're seeing the runs in bunches. So, um, the other big takeaway for me was Danny Bill. He continues to be uh, a guy that's emerging out of the bullpen and the development of his changeup against the lefty heavy ODU lineup, I thought was one of the, the biggest uh, positives of the week. Cause usually he's more of a right on right sidewinding guy. He was coming over the top and 
just had a nasty changeup going. So I don't know if ODU just didn't have that in the scouting report, but either way, they couldn't hit it. So a lot of uh, a lot of positives. I mean, anytime you're winning eight in a row, uh, major positives throughout the week. Um, all right, before we get to the questions, let's talk about kind of the theme of this podcast. And obviously, huge success at home. ECU is uh, twenty four and two at home. There's only two losses coming to Long Beach State and UNCW, which, by the way, the Seahawks winning a road series at TCU this past weekend, so they seem to be pretty pretty damn legit. Uh, four and five guys in true road games, 0-1 oh in neutral games, according to uh, the website I'm looking at now. I'm still confused over whether or not Queens was away or neutral, but either way. Um, so what, what what's it going to take for this, this club to put it together on the road? And I think – Look, if they continue to dominate at home, they could host a regional. But if they want to be a top eight seed, they have to find a way to win some some key series on the road, win some key games on the road. So, Jonathan, is there any key you can point to where the Pirates have to play better at, especially coming up with a tough stretch this week at Charlotte and then at Wichita State? Yeah, to me, it, it, it's all about the offense. And I think it's something that we've talked about, again, really all season long. You know, were they midweek woes or would they were they road woes? And, you know, the midweek curse has kind of gone away. And at least over the past couple of weeks, both have been at home. And now you, you put it to the test again. Is it road troubles? And that's something that personally I've been concerned about all season long. And to me, I think I think it's all about the offense. I think the, to me, it's either the offense comes out very aggressive and it just doesn't work or. They honestly just like lost sometimes at the plate on the road. Again, we haven't seen that in a couple of weeks. We've gotten used to playing at home again, which is nice. But now they need to come out and just do exactly what they've been doing the past two weeks. First inning, second inning, don't wait. Because especially when you're on the road, when you wait until the fifth, sixth, seventh, or even later to start getting guys on, piecing stuff together and scoring runs, a lot of times it's going to be too late, too little. Too little, too late. And to me, you can't afford that, especially not against, you know, Charlotte's a quality team, you know, maybe not as good as they were earlier in the year, but Charlotte's one of those teams. If you come around and your offense doesn't jump out early, you, you might lose. And I think Wichita state is similar, right? Wichita state isn't great. Nobody in the American is great, but when you're on the road, you can't afford to, have large deficits early on in the game. And I think that's the biggest key to me. Prove me, prove to me you can hit on the road, get off the bus, hit first inning, second inning, just like you do so many times at home. Because if you do, then again, I think this team ceiling is very high. Yeah. The early offense would, I think would go a long way towards maybe relaxing the ECU a little bit on the road. Um, and, you know, they were, not good offensively at Houston. They definitely weren't good defensively at Houston, Scott. Um, and look, another turf field coming up at Wichita State. The good news is the Charlotte game is it looks like it'll be natural grass, but still on the road. Charlotte's already beat South Carolina in that stadium this year, so they'll they'll come in confident. Um, what stands out about you, you know, to you about this team needing to to win some road games? Yeah, that's what I was going to go with the defense being the key because I think when you give teams extra outs at home, they tend to make you pay. Um, and quite frankly, in the Houston game, the defense wasn't up to the standard that has been set you know, in this program over the last five or six years of really how good of defense we play. Um, one good thing, I think, is that Lane Hoover in center field has really come on and, and solidified that spot as someone who can – can make a play and read a ball and not let anything drop in that shouldn't drop in. Um, he made some really good reads on balls this weekend. Um, look to see him do that again um, against Wichita State and Charlotte. Um, but, yeah, you know, we don't want to give guys extra outs. And if we can get an early lead, I think we can build on that. And then, obviously, starting pitching is always important. It doesn't matter what time of the year it is. Um, if your Savage goes out and gives you seven solid innings, you're going to have a chance to win no matter where the game is. Same thing with Groves and Spivey. So, you know, playing good defense behind those guys and not putting extra work on our arms so that our starters can go deeper and so that by Sunday our bullpen health our bullpen depth is is you know where we really like it to be 
um, I think it's going to go a, a really long way to, to a 3-1 and one or 4-0 and oh week this week. All right, we will circle back at the end of the show. We'll talk a little bit more about Charlotte and Wichita State and kind of what the week holds. Will we predict another 4-0 week? I don't know. I've, I've, I've called it twice in a row, guys. I don't know if I can go 4-0 again with it all being road road games. I think well, – all right, we'll get into it later. All right. Um, I don't want to get too off topic. All right, let's get into these comments. You guys have been waiting patiently, and let's dive into it. Chris Allen wants to know, Kendall Rogers answered my question on the D1 baseball chat today. He says, if our RPI stays in the 8 to 10 range, we will absolutely be a top eight seed again. Thoughts? Um, I'll, I'll start this one just by saying, you know, I agree because I think for ECU to stay in that range, they're going to have to not run the table, but play extremely dominant baseball win the regular season, probably win the conference tournament, at least make it deep into the conference tournament. I do think with last year's showing on national TV, and I know this is not last year, but I do think the way ECU, the brand elevated itself last year in the Texas Super Regional uh, is going to make the committee lean towards giving ECU a national seat again if they are on that bubble. So um, any any extra thoughts there, guys, on, on Chris's comment? Yeah, I think you're right as far as um, what we need to do to stay in the top eight to ten range. Uh, I think that starts really this weekend. Um, if we go to Wichita State and lose two out of three, it's going to be hard to stay there. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I wouldn't guarantee anything. If we're number ten and Coastal's nine like they are now, um, NC State's eight, uh, you know, are they going to put three teams in the top eight that are – all in you know the same general area or four really because Wake Forest is there too. Um, it's hard to say. So um, right now, looking outside of the top ten, you have a, a Stanford program at thirteen that tends to host and tends to host super regionals too. Um, you know, and is going to get the benefit of the doubt because there's not that many good West Coast programs. They're the, probably the best name on the West Coast too. So um, you know, if I would say six to eight range. I would feel really comfortable about being a top eight. I don't know about eight to 10, because I think if you get into that 10 spot, it can kind of get uh, hairy, you know, just with all the good teams in our area. And, and maybe they don't want to have five teams in the Carolinas all hosting or, um, you know, three or four hosting or being in the top eight. The bottom line for me is I don't I don't know what the committee's going to do, because there's one year ECU had an RPI of five and ended up like, seated what 11 12 13 in that range so you just you never know what metric they're going to use uh jonathan anything else to add here from your perspective yeah i think it a lot of it really i do think is going to just depend on how other teams do because you know obviously there's a i i we talked about it last week but i think there's probably a clear top six or seven probably probably clear top six right now in college baseball and a lot of those teams are from the SEC, which means a lot of those teams are going to play each other over the final weeks. So if those teams beat up on each other and say LSU and Vanderbilt, for example, just kind of run the table in the SEC and just continue just, you know, winning every series they play, then I think ECU has a good shot because the teams like South Carolina and the teams like Arkansas or, you know, they might not, they, they might not be up there just because the SEC is so good at the top. So but if, you know, it's even throughout, and I know some of those teams have played each other already, but if some of those teams, it's even, it's two to one series throughout, it's a close game, then it's it's going to be tougher because there's not going to be as much of a drop-off between the top end and the bottom end there. But, I mean, I just for fun, I, I did a whole Field of 64 projection actually this morning, and it was my first time ever doing it. So it was just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. As of right now, I have ACU at the seven. But I, I do think it's just ECU does have to play nearly perfect. And I think that's a lot of pressure and not that they're looking at it that way. But you have to be nearly perfect to do that. And it's, it's tough to be perfect in baseball, especially with injuries and all that stuff that we've already seen play a factor. So I, I don't know. It's going to be tough. But if your RPI stays up there, then like Scott said, I think the six to eight range, I feel a lot more comfortable. But it's going to go out there and win and the rest will take care of itself. 
Yeah, it's just you look at the opponents left. It's hard to see the RPI rising that much more. Um, you know, the you guys mentioned the, the the margin of error is so thin, and really the the Houston series kind of cost ECU, and ECU was able to respond to that with an eight game winning streak. But you're just not going to be able to do that every time if you slip up. You know, if you lose another series at Wichita or whatever, um, it's it's not going to be. Um, you know, it's not going to be easy to overcome. Skull says, I'm predicting a 10 seed. Don't see how they can stay in the top eight with the amount of bad opponents left. And, it, I mean, it's a fair point. It's just you're going to have to win every series most likely and then, you know, find a way to uh, make a run in the conference tournament. Real, realistically, you're going to have to win the regular season and the conference tournament, you know, more than likely unless you just have a dominant, you know, just stretch here of the regular season. Uh, Skull adds ECU is literally perfect for 20 games in the year and still got an eight seed. Well, yeah, but they're also just terrible. Not terrible, but they weren't where they where they are now. So if ECU wheeled off 20 in a row now, I think they would be even higher than an eight. So, you know, there's multiple ways to look at it, but we'll see uh, how it how it unfolds, starting with Wednesday at Charlotte. All right, uh, Skull Pirate again, our favorite guy. He says, "Who is the likely two seed in the Greenville Regional?" Question mark. Charlotte. I don't. I don't even know if Charlotte's in the field. Are, were they in your field of sixty-four today? I mean, they got an RPI of fifty-two. If they were, they were one of the last teams, and I don't remember off the top of my head. But I, I did have. I had Duke as the two seed in the Greenville Regional, and I mean, Duke's a team. They're playing some very good baseball right now. And again, like Jackson said, Tennessee or Duke. Tennessee is another team that could. Tennessee is out of the top 25, at least in the D1 baseball rankings. Tennessee is not hosting if the season ended today. Duke's not hosting, but Duke's a very good team. Both tough twos. And I think I've just accepted the fact that we're going to get a tough two like that. So it, that, those two would make a lot of sense Tennessee or Duke. Yeah. I think you could throw UNC in there too. Um, after this past weekend, they stumbled against Miami. They have a lot of tough series left as well. Um, maybe even NC State could play their way back into into that two seed range. You know, their RPI is I think ten or eight right now, something like that. So, um, you know, I think that they at this point in the season would likely be in. I don't know if they would be a two or not, um, but I think it we. Right now, I think we would be facing Tennessee, Duke, UNC, NC State, somebody like that. Um, if South Carolina stumbles down the stretch, I know they had a, a tough weekend this past weekend, um, and they have a, a lot of good teams left on their schedule. So, you know, I would I would hope we would avoid them. Um, and I wouldn't rule out Campbell either. Um, you know, who knows how the committee will view their schedule, and you know, we could end up with a two of Campbell and a three of you know Duke or um, NC State, if they have some slip-ups going forward, um, which would end up being a, a pretty good regional, I would think. Yeah, I think Campbell down to 31 in the RPI. You want to talk about RPI killers, their their conference. I mean, you lose one game, you're screwed. So, And, again, this is assuming ECU even hosts a regional, which is far from a slam dunk. If they got to lose this – you know, if they go one and three this week, they're on the bubble to host. So um, definitely a long way to go before that that happens. All right, uh, TJ Dunn's got a, a question here. Um, for someone new to ECU baseball, can anyone explain how their regionals and seedings work in the college baseball postseason? So years ago, it used to be basically what they they would seed the top eight, and then they would seed the next eight hosts based off regions. And that changed maybe, what, a handful of years ago, maybe 10 years ago to where they just – they're supposed to seed the field one through 64, essentially, but definitely seed the host one through 16. One is paired with 16, two with 15, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that's how the seedings work. And it used to be they didn't want to have too many of the same teams in the same region hosting, but that's supposed to be out the window now. I don't know if that's actually going to play out that way. Um, am I missing anything, guys, with the explanation there? No, it used to be uh, the top eight were all national seeds, but now the top 16 are all the national seeds, and then the eight also get to host in, in the Supers. And then uh, no two teams from the same conference will be in the same regional. Um, that's the only other little tidbit that would be in there. And then you got the scenario if, you know, eight and nine 
the national seeds are matched up. If, if both the top hosts lose, you know, you could have a scenario where each two seed wins and they have to figure out what team is going to host the next round. So there's some, you know, bidding scenarios that go into play there. Um, but that that's rare for the most part, but it certainly has happened. Unfortunately for ECU, it seems like every time they win a regional, they're matched up with a national seed. So uh, that has not happened yet for the Pirates on the other end, at least. All right. Uh, Skull says at least Igo doesn't have a crooked backdrop tonight. Yeah. So the studio is undergoing renovations. Uh, big news on the way. Got a big backdrop coming. So stay tuned for that. Um, just, yeah. We'll see what happens. Uh, Chris says, uh, when is JJC back? Well, as far as I know, uh, he is a C. He got injured, was it Thursday against UCF or Friday? It was game two Thursday. Okay. That was a doubleheader day. So he ruptured his testicle Thursday, and then he had surgery that night. From that point forward, it was two weeks of no running, from my understanding. And – it's been over a week. This Thursday would be the point he could return to running, but I would not expect him to immediately just go out and run to right field and play in a live baseball game. So he may make the trip to Wichita, may play. I would personally lean towards it happening maybe next week, maybe the two-lane series. It's just – listen, I've never dealt with an injury like that. I don't know if, uh, if y'all have any insight here. When do y'all expect to see him? I, I'd i be surprised if he played this weekend. I'd be surprised if he traveled and it was even a chance, personally. But, again, like, I, I don't know. I, I keep looking back at the Wyatt Langford injury at Florida. He had the same thing, ruptured testicle. He missed 15 days. And he's been back pretty much in full force ever since. I don't know if he's split time at DH. But I, I, would, I would just – it would make a lot of sense if JJC started off at DH when he came back probably not playing the outfield. You would think, ease him back in. There's no there's no reason to just throw him back to the Wolves and say, go for it, you're playing every day in right field, no matter what. You know, ease him back in because his health long-term is not worth risking. So I think, yeah, I, I agree. Hopefully two-lane series, maybe midweek next week. But I think at the in the end, it's, I think it's going to be a pain tolerance thing. And what he can do, he'll do in – just hope he doesn't push himself um, too fast, and I know the team won't do that, but ho- hopefully soon because he'll be a nice boost once he can get back. For sure. I need to uh, tag in uh, Mrs. Lorbacher here, who is a uh, nurse practitioner in urology and has, has helped people through this this particular injury in the past and um, would know a lot more about it than, than I would, but I don't think there's a way for him. You know, Obviously, there's the no running, but I don't, I don't know if it, you can – potentially re-injure this part of your body but um, <laughs> I, I would look yeah maybe a pinch hit situation or a uh or a dh roll early on and then maybe by nc state but definitely by tulane i think we'll see him back and hopefully can uh dh him against tulane and ease him back in so your wife works in urology we should really have her on the show to break this thing down, man. I think she is keeping my daughter from running into uh, my office right now. So she's she's already helping out. We'll get her on uh, maybe to interview JC about his return, what he's, yeah. what he's been through. I By the way, said, uh, Kevlar Cup was her suggestion. Fair uh, enough. We'll pass that along that. to Jacob. <laughs> um, <laughs> so while we're on the topic of outfitters, guys – we saw Luke Noah return to the actual outfield, and he played left field. He had been playing right field. He looked a lot more comfortable in left uh, this week. Was it the ODU game? He made that insane running catch. That was yep. an awesome play in foul territory. So, uh, with him there, you got Clonch able to DH. He hits a couple of home runs this week. So, uh, we, we've kind of talked about it with Noah, but – if he can play in the field, I just feel like it gives you so much more versatility offensively. If you have to lock him into that DH spot, it's it's not ideal maybe to have another slugger on the bench instead of in that DH spot. Just thoughts there, Scott, with, you know, Clonch getting some ABs and, and making the most of it and Noah playing the field. Yeah, yeah. As far as Noah goes, he looked much more comfortable in left field than right field. Um, you know, some guys are just more comfortable going glove side than they are, you know, the other way. Um, but – 
yeah, and it was a little bit hard to see that play actually on on the TV broadcast. But um, from from all accounts, sounds like it was a great play. Um, I, I I watched it four times, and I was like, I don't really know what happened, but um, the crowd went wild. So that's all you really need to know. And and obviously, we're all big Clanch guys. I uh, hit two of his three home runs this uh, season uh, this week. So would like to see him get as, as many at-bats as possible so we can sound the, the feasting uh, clanch and enjoy yeah, the balls show? flying over the fence. Do I need to break it back out? Yeah. I mean, he had two two run, two home runs this week. You need to start blowing into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. I'm definitely making that into a uh, – a GIF or something. <laughs> the background um, on your phone. <laughs> uh, Wags, I know you're a clunch guy, as as uh, clearly Scott is, and clearly I am. Not quite to the degree Scott is, but uh, big uh, big weekend for clunch. That was awesome to see, right? Yeah, it was big, and I'm a big clunch guy. I think I've been talking to you, I go pretty much since clunch got to campus that uh, he needs to be in the lineup, and I've been a pretty hard advocate for him. And it was it was nice to see him not only get an opportunity, but get multiple opportunities this week. You know, Cliff, Cliff Godwin pretty much stuck with the same same lineup this weekend, all three games, and I was very surprised by that. But I wasn't mad. And yeah, it's it speaks volumes just to what that versatility in the outfield can do. Hoover can play left field, right field, center field. Nowak is probably a left fielder or DH at this point, but you know his ability to play left field does open up that spot. You know, whether it's one of the catchers, you know, assuming they're both healthy, you know, in that spot, whether it's JJC when he gets back, it gives you so many options. And seeing Cam Clunch, you know, get his opportunities and coming through in big spots too, that three-run homer early in the first game was just big. It really set the tone right away. And I think it's nice to see him get, you know, like I said, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Cam Clunch is in the lineup because I think it's tough to kind of build momentum as a hitter when you're only getting an at-bat a week, a couple at-bats a week, or they're coming on, say, Tuesday and then Sunday. It's nearly impossible. So I think to see him do that and take advantage of the opportunity and come up big, and Cam Clunch, too, I spoke about versatility, great defender. He can play first base if you need him. He can play outfield. So it was nice to see, and you never know who you're going to need to step up. We've seen JJC. We've seen other guys get injured. So – just having him, having Cam Clunch a little more comfortable at the plate and doing what he did this weekend is nothing but positive for this team. Yeah, Cam Clunch right now with the third highest OPS on the team. Uh, and that Dixon Williams is actually first. So if you take away Dixon, who only has five at bats, he's second behind only Josh Moylan uh, with an OPS over a thousand. He's hit three homers, five doubles. He's only struck out ten times compared to eight walks and five hit by pitches. So. Uh, when he's getting playing time, guys, he's making the most of it. And I think you got to try to find his way into the lineup as as much as possible. And just happy for him because he's kind of stuck it out, uh, has been a part-time player. It still kind of is, but I think can be a guy who uh, plays a key role down the stretch here. All right, Skull again coming in hot with questions. He says, will Trey Savage have a better year next year than Gavin Williams last year? Um, well, first off, Gavin Williams, that was 21, right? So he's already going to have a better year than, than – <laughs> Hey, I don't know. Gavin Williams was pretty uh, yeah, good in the minors last year. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. He was pretty good. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I don't know how to – what is this question, Skull? What are we doing here? Like, <laughs> You know, I'll, 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 I'll take this. And... Yeah, go ahead. I, I can't. I can't. I've had something with you, Savage, that I have wanted to talk about. And I, I'm interested to see how he kind of holds up over the course of the season. And I can't remember if we talked about it before on the show, but, you know, this is the most the most that Trey Savage has thrown. And he's thrown 100 pitches an outing for the most part, going six, seven innings. And there's still a couple months left. So I'm interested to see, you know, how he holds up and, you know, can he keep throwing 100 pitches an outing and pitch every week, every Friday night for the rest of the season? Or, you know, does he kind of fall off? I, I do believe his velocity was maybe a mile per hour down. He was more 92 to 94 on Friday this week. 
and I'm nothing to be concerned about. But I, I'm interested to see if that's a trend that continues as the season goes on, because I do think, and it really the same thing with Josh Gross, really the same thing with Carter Spivey. It's just most any of these guys have pitched as a starting pitcher. And so I think that's that's another kind of underrated storyline, if you will, as the season goes on. You know, how do those arms hold up? And it just creates even more importance for the bullpen. But I'll say this, if you savage, if his arm does hold up this year, he probably won't pitch in the fall next year and come back next year. Yeah, I think Trey Savage is a top 15 pick. Yeah, I mean, he's – and what Gavin did a couple of years ago, I don't know if anybody will ever top that. I mean, he's – he was – like, he was he was so good. I mean, Trey has the potential to maybe match it. I don't think he can have a better year. I don't think anybody can have a better year. Um, the thing I will say about Trey is he's putting it together quicker than Gavin did, which is promising. So, going into next year, he's going to be on every scout's radar – so I, I do think top 15 is, is realistic. Uh, what about you, Scott? For sure. Um, I actually think that this year's Trader Savage reminds me a lot of Gavin Williams' final season at ECU where he finally developed into that, you know, first-round draft pick type pitcher. Um, but Savage has another year left. So he's going to come in. He's, he'll probably be on some preseason All-American teams, maybe some first-team uh, first preseason All-American teams as well. And as in the country, not just the conference, but um, he'll be a guy that's looked at, um, you know, very favorably by the the draft. And if he can maintain it for two seasons, um, you can see him being, you know, maybe even a top 10 pick, uh, which would I think would be really great for ECU. We haven't had one since who was our last top 10 pick Hoffman. So I think he's the only one. And he was an all time Reds legend out of the bullpen. So. Maybe the Reds will probably be picking in the top ten. So, you know, maybe that'll that'll end up with uh, Trey coming to Cincinnati, where he's already had a lot of success. <laughs> All right, um, we'll just move on. But good, good well done. Uh, Chris Allen says, uh, let's say ECU makes it Omaha. Does Omaha exist afterwards? It may exist, Chris, but it will not be the same. Because all three of us will be there. We'll be hosting a podcast, correct? Oh, absolutely. I'll find a way. Scott, My wife might kill head. me if I leave her in front of Nebraska. You'll find a way. You'll find a way. We need I her uh, urology expert uh, <laughs> in case something happens with Jacob Jenkins Gower. All right. Uh, Bobby wants to know, why has the AAC gotten so bad the past two to three years? Hard to get respect beating a lot of really bad teams in conference play. For me, it falls down to Tulane and Houston being as bad as they are. Like, they are supposed to be historically conference championship contenders, NCAA tournament contenders, and they just haven't been those programs the past five years. And as a result, the league has taken a dip. Wichita State, I think when they joined the league, we kind of expected them to be NCAA tournament caliber every few years. And uh, Memphis has somehow gotten worse since the Conference USA days. Uh, Cincinnati, honestly, until this year, has kind of punched above his weight at times. Has had a decent team. But it's just been – I don't know, even UCF has underperformed relative to expectations and talent. And I don't know if it's coaching, culture, whatever, but it's it's just been disappointing. So uh, any extra thoughts here, Scott? Yeah, I think the transfer portal hasn't helped. Um, you look at Tulane, they lost a ton of their best players to the transfer portal. Uh, Cincinnati lost the conference player of the year to the transfer portal. Um, I don't think Houston or Central Florida have those excuses. Um, I think they just haven't recruited at the level they need to. I remember since uh, Houston a few years ago when they were, you know, competing to win the conference, they, they had, you know, first-round draft pick, first four-round draft pick type pitching, and they don't have that anymore. Um you know, looking to next year, there's some teams coming in. UTSA uh, coming in at 25 this week in the, in, in the poll. So that'll be a team that is actually, you know, functional, that can compete on the same level, that could potentially get a at-large type spot. Um, Charlotte, same situation for most years. Um, obviously, this year they're, they're a bit down. Um, and then Rice has, obviously, they won a national championship. Um, 
but they're kind of similar to Wichita State, where you expect them to be better. Um, Wichita State has also won a national championship with uh, Joey Carter, um, but has not really found that level of consistency. But I do think they have an administration that is going to hold them accountable until they do find it. You know, they've had some weird stuff go on with their manager, Eric Wedge, quit during like December. So that's obviously odd. Um, and then South Florida, another team with really no excuse not to be good. Um, you know, maybe they, they need to change their recruiting methods as well. Maybe try to get some some Miami and Florida bounce backs instead of recruiting high school. You know, the transfer portal exists both ways. Um, and there's always guys that are looking for playing time. There's clearly a ton of talent in Florida. If Florida Gulf Coast can be in the top 25 up until this past week. So, you know, there's teams with, with the ability to be good. It's just a matter of them finding that level of consistency again. Yeah, UCF uh, it might be the the only team that I I think – I guess Houston to an extent can contend in the Big 12 right away. But Cincinnati, if they play like that, this like they did this past weekend, I mean, they're going to – they're not going to win a game in the Big 12. I mean, they, they're they not going to be close in the game. Yeah, I mean, it's – that's going to be a rude awakening. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, I am excited about next year. I think FAU, UTSA, I think teams like – Rice, like Wichita, like Tulane, like they can't be bad forever. So I feel like the next version of the American will be better. It's just how quickly does it happen? I don't know. Uh, Skull adds, ECU does have a huge advantage in the conference standings, getting to play Cincinnati six times. So let's talk about the conference standings, guys, as I try to pull it up here on the fly. And all right, here we go. So three weekends in, East Carolina has a 7-2 record. They have overcome the uh, series loss to Houston, at least for now. Houston does have the tiebreaker. Houston, 6-3, and three, a game back. Wichita State and South Florida are 5-4, and four, two games back of ECU. Tulane is 4-5, and five, three games back. UCF, Memphis, and Cincinnati tied for last at four games behind the Pirates. Early thoughts on how the – these standings are shaken up, and this Wichita State series clearly a, a pretty important series early on, uh, right, Jonathan? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know Houston three and three, or Houston six and three. You know, I, I didn't expect that going into it, and obviously beating ECU opening in the opening series was big. But yeah, this Wichita State series is. It's huge. I mean, five and four, Wichita State, they do have a couple pieces. Their team as a whole might not be great when you look at it on paper, but I think they have a guy with 17 homers. They have one of the best two-way players in the country. So, you know, they're not a bad team by any means, even though, you know, they're 20 and 15 overall, five and four in the American. So, I mean, that's that's not bad. And, yeah, I'm going to stop here because the Canes did just win two to one. So I just had to get that in there right there. But, but yeah, it, it's a very big weekend. And, again, I think it's important that it is on the road. And I'm not, I'm not going to try to make the case for Wichita State being a good team in relation to, you know, what other teams might be playing against. But it's a road team against, right now, the third best team in the American. So ECU needs to go handle their business. And if they come out slow again against a team like Wichita State, they will lose. So, but the race is important, and South Florida, 5-4, and four, I think they're capable of kind of turning things on as the season goes. Tulane, I don't. I'm just not even going to talk about them. UCF, we've seen. Cincinnati, we've seen. Memphis, I also don't think they're really capable of doing much. But I think it's ECU, Houston, Wichita, and maybe South Florida. So staying at the top is important, and you have to get off to a good start doing that this weekend. Don't Wichita and Houston play each other six times? Yes. So that could play a role. For sure. They could beat each other up. Any any thoughts, Scott? Sure. You know, if we go to Wichita and get a sweep, then we have a five-game lead on the team that's currently in third place. Um, I, I would say that pretty much eliminates them, um, you know, three conference weekends into the season, or four, I guess, now. But um, you look at last year, I think, I think Tulane was our third or fourth series, and everybody was – 
kind of bunched up at the top and then Tulane uh, took two or three from us and then we pulled away and we won by, you know, six or seven games. So um, tough to say, you know, based on the standings right now, how things will get uh, shake out. But yeah, I, I don't know that we have an advantage by playing Cincinnati twice. When you look at it, Central Florida plays USF, who's a, you know, RPI 200 team twice. Memphis plays Tulane, who is, you know, a really bad team this year. They play them six times. Um, the only ones I think they have any real gripe are Houston and Wichita because they're probably the second, third best teams in the conference and they play each other. But, you know, that, that's just how it shakes out sometimes. I don't know that, you know, right now, I don't know that Wichita is so far above anybody else in the league that it's unfair for Houston. Um, and obviously if Wichita takes two out of three from us, then they're in the same spot that Houston was having played us and getting to play them twice. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't know that it's it's a huge advantage because we also have to go to Ohio every year to play Cincinnati. So that's not not all. Sometimes uh, we do that early in the year and it can be cold. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm really gonna miss this traveling Cincinnati series. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Jared. Uh, Jared Plummer uh, from the Left Field Megaphones crew wants to know, assuming ECU hosts, if you are an ECU administrator, do you add stands to try to get more people into Clark Clare Stadium or have it stay the way that it is or that it has? This is a – I feel like every few weeks, guys, we've discussed potential expansion uh, or just something because – it. We've talked about it. the jungle has just become not a nightmare, but it's become a different animal in terms of trying to attend games out there. And if you put it with another regional host, given the attention this team is getting, given the success, the season tickets where they are, it's going to be a hot ticket. And I don't want to say it's going to be a, a frustrating ticket, but maybe in some cases it will be just because it's it can be not very comfortable out there if you're not made for the jungle. So um, – I don't know. I mean, I go back and forth on this. I've talked to some administrators. They've said temporary bleachers down the the first baseline in that little gap between the hidden facility and where the stadium ends, or the grandstands, there's just too many obstructed views there to where they don't want to build that temporary bleacher, give out tickets, and then have complaints about it. So outside of that, I don't really see another area because they have the tent set up for the players and for the hospitality area down the third baseline. I don't know if you could put bleachers in the jungle. So maybe there's a creative workaround, but I feel like it's, it's kind of a scenario where it's, I don't know. I just don't know what you can do. Thoughts. Yeah. And I think it's, it's tough to do something like that, you know, going from regular season into postseason too. you know, I think that's something, if you're going to do it, you probably roll it out when it's over the course of a whole season. But, yeah, and Skull Pirate just said this in the comments, but I, I do think you have to keep the charm of the jungle. You know, say what you want about it, but that's what makes the ECU atmosphere great. We saw that last season. And, yeah, it could make sense to, you know, maybe put bleachers out in right field. But, again, I, I don't think you can do that in the middle of the season going into the postseason. And, plus, we, we saw what it's like when you don't do that last year and what i mean by that it, it was one hell of an atmosphere and it was jam-packed in there sure some people might not have the best view but in the end who cares there are going to be a ton of people out there regardless and honestly it in a way it might you take away from some of that so I, I just don't i agree i don't think there's much you can do it's just it's unfortunate because i do wish we could get more people in you know officially Obviously, we saw more people last year than what the official numbers probably were. But it's unfortunate, but I just don't think there's a whole lot you can do with the current makeup of the stadium. Scott, do they have to figure out the the chair situation at least or do something about that or just not – do they just not do anything? First thing they should do is take the Taco Bell sign and just throw it into <laughs> the parking lot somewhere. Um that they they're upset about selling obstructive view tickets in that little gap, but if you're behind the Taco Bell sign, you also can't see anything. So let's get rid of the Taco Bell sign. I'll just tape it to the uh, 
the practice field fence or maybe move the practice field fence back 25 feet for the super regionals and throw some temporary bleachers up there or something like that. That might work. Um, but yeah, you know, the jungle has its charm. There's people who get there early. They do put their chairs out early. I don't have a problem with that on game day, but I think one, I think if you bring it in, you should take it out. Um, I know during the rain delay, there were a lot of just chairs that were broken and wet and soaked through. And it's just three days sitting in it, getting rained on, sitting in it, getting rained on. So that makes it really tough. Um, just my personal opinion, nobody throw rocks at me. But um, I think if you bring something into the stadium, you should take it back out with you or throw it in the trash can on your way out. Um, and obviously this year, um, I think they've had some, some issues with um, – alcohol being brought in that was not purchased within the stadium. So they've, they've had to do a little bit more checking there. Um, so I'm, I feel like during the uh, regionals, maybe even a super regional, they'll be you know more focused on making sure you have an actual ticket to get into the game. So if, if we can get more, um, you know, seats in there where we can sell more tickets, I think that's a good thing. Honestly, I would sit in an obstructed view seat if it meant that I got to go to the game and enjoy it and didn't have to worry about trying to, to find a ticket somewhere. So, you know, yeah, I, I do think that the, the chair thing is, is something to be addressed. I don't know if this year's the right year or not, but at some point it's got to be done. Uh, you know it's getting late when uh, Buck Wild is in here at the <laughs> chat. Um, we got some real golden comments here. It's a real uh, good three stretch there. Yeah. Uh, Skull Pirate says you have to keep the charm of the jungle. Uh, Lucy Jones, a.k.a. Buck Wild, says blam. <laughs> I guess that's him entering the chat. He says, uh, yo, Kiero, taco, hell. Uh, uh, I don't know if that's a typo or not. I feel like it's not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, and then uh, Josh88, who also might be Buck Wild. I uh, said I watched some guy throw up in the butt in the bushes near the scoreboard during the Charlotte game in the postseason two years ago. All right, that's cool. Um, cool story, bro. Uh, <laughs> all right, Brandon Carr. He says I go glad you kept everything dry tonight. That is a reference to me spilling the water on my computer. Glad to know my computer still works. Scott, nice shirt. As always, I just watched this for your shirts. He's wearing the Bunch of Jerks t-shirt for the Hurricanes in case you're listening to the podcast. Wags, car has nothing for you unless you snuck over to Chapel Hill this past weekend. <laughs> Can confirm I did not. By the way, that's I'm because hearing... I'm an ECU fan. Can y'all uh, guess the Denver Broncos player that this shirt is referencing? It is very obscure. Is it Russell Wilson driving a golf cart um, and flipping <laughs> it over into a bunker? Uh. That's a good guess. That is a good guess. This is Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy two gloves. He oh, got the wow. gloves. So, yep. Don't ask me why I have a Teddy Bridgewater dimmer bunker. <laughs> Vikings legend, Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. It's quite, uh, quite sad. Anyways, um, apparently Burleson, Alec Burleson, did two run shot. So that is a, that's a major positive. Um, somebody says Skull says he got sun poisoned during the Texas series and he'd do it again. Skull also says chairs shouldn't be allowed. There were tons of issues with people getting mad about people standing in front of them. It's the jungle. Get over it. Yeah, we talked about that a lot. Lucy Jones says, say what? I said, I kind of agree. You know, it is standing room only seating, right? The jungle, right. technically. So if you allow people to bring a chair to standing room only, it does kind of not make it standing room only. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I don't think that's a, a terrible idea or something completely unjustified if you have that opinion. Yeah. Uh, Purple Beard says, do you have the Teddy jersey for the Broncos? Absolutely not. This was a $15 shirt. I'm not spending $150 on the Teddy Bridgewater jersey. Um, all right, last question, and then we will jump into our predictions because we're running short on time. Some of us got to get some sleep. Wags has to go celebrate the Hurricanes win. 
Uh, back to baseball, Wednesday at Bullpen Day, considering road woes or preferred starter to get reps. So they have not announced a starter to this point. I would think it's going to be a bullpen day of some sort, although Zach Root has kind of been the midweek guy lately. And maybe you start Root again, just see how it goes, and then figure it out from there. And But I don't know. I mean, crucial series at Wichita, short turnaround, I feel like you're, you're, you're not going to extend any of your key guys but so much. Yeah, I agree. I think Zach Root probably gets the nod. And from there, you probably see Danny Beal. You probably see Wyatt Alonzo Jankman. probably see Garrett Saylor, maybe Jay Connor. It all just depends on how the game goes and what the situation is. But, yeah, I, I just don't – I don't think you start Jay Connor because I do think he has kind of turned into a guy they value out of the bullpen on the weekend because he, he has been warming up a lot in those spots early and often, really. On the weekend, he did this weekend, I know. So, Jake Hunter, I'm not sure if I see him starting, but I definitely see him available out of the bullpen. And it's realistically all hands on deck going from Sunday to Wednesday between games. So, Monday, Tuesday off. Everybody should be available. So, I think the scoreboard will probably reflect that afterwards. Or not the scoreboard, but the usage of pitchers and who plays. So, yeah, but I just switch route and then a whole bunch of guys after him. Yeah, we had four less innings this weekend than we normally would have. So, guys should be fresh. Um, I don't think you'll see anybody throw more than 50 or so pitches. All right, guys, it's prediction time. ECU on the road at Charlotte inside Truist Field. I know somebody asked earlier if any of us are going to Charlotte. I believe the answer is no. Correct? Correct. Correct. I will not be there. We're saving our funds for uh, Omaha. That's right. And uh, Scott will pay for everybody's trip. Um, I'll use oh, all yeah. of my son's daycare money. All, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Charlotte on Wednesday, RPI of 52, record of 19 and 15. They swept Rice this past weekend, so they are playing well. They have to play North Carolina on Tuesday, so they have a brutal midweek. Then on the road, I assume ECU's going straight from Charlotte out to Wichita the following day would make zero sense to drive back. So uh, out to Wichita, Kansas, 20-15 and 15 record, RPI of 147. The Shockers coming off, uh, I believe, a series win over Tulane maybe. I, I can't remember who they beat. Tulane, yep. Yep, Tulane. So RPI of 147. And ECU historically has not played well at Wichita. I think they – split a four-game series last time out there in the 2020 season and maybe won two or three, but it was like pulling teeth the year the year before that or two years before that. Either way, I remember them going there and not playing well. So not going to be an easy place to play. I think they have some pretty good crowds. Prediction time, guys. What do we got as far as – ECU this week, record-wise. We will start with uh, Scott Lorbacher. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're we're still not – our road record still is what it is, which is not great. Um, and until I see something on the road, it's going to be hard for me to pick uh, predict anything that is not uh, two and two for this stretch. Um, obviously, Charlotte has uh, played some good teams well. So is Wichita. They, they beat Oklahoma State. Um, actually beat Oklahoma twice as well, um, and they won a game out against Long Beach, um, who beat us. They didn't lose that series, but they did win the Sunday game. Um, so I, I hope they prove me wrong, but I'm going to go uh, two and two. All right, Jonathan. Um, first off, give us your record prediction. I don't know if you've got a special prediction this week. I will have one from here on out. So first record – I, I was going to say two and two as well for the same reason that Scott said. Just you have to prove it to me that you can win on the road. But once I go mention that Charlotte does play on Tuesday against North Carolina, that upped me to three and one. Because that's Charlotte, that's going to be a lot tougher for them. Those two games back to back is it's brutal. So I'm going to go three and one. I think you lose one on the weekend. I'll probably say you lose Sunday against Wichita. And. Yeah, do you want me to drop my uh, bonus prediction now, or do you want me to wait? Um, 
We'll, we'll circle back to you. We'll go back. I'll make my record prediction, then we'll get your your bonus. Um, so I'm going three and one. I, I think ECU wins a tight one at Charlotte midweek. I think they win Friday with the Savage on the mound. I think uh, Spivey finds a way to get it done Saturday. And then Sunday, Wichita State wins. Um, I think that they, they win one. Wouldn't be shocked if, if they push it and, and end up winning the series. But I, I feel like ECU's in the right mindset now. Cliff Goblin immediately after the Cincinnati sweep and jo- Josh Moreland both talked about, hey, we've had success at home, but we have to take this on the road now. And at some point, this team's got to flip that switch mentally to go on the road with the same mentality or a different mentality of going on the road, but also playing the same way, uh, getting that energy up early in games, getting the offense going. So I feel like this is the week maybe that flips and they have a good week on the road. So we'll see what happens, though. All right, back to Jonathan to wrap it up. He predicted Jacob Jenkins Cowart would hit three home runs and then suffer a groin injury. He nailed that one. <laughs> and then uh, last week was Riley Johnson home run, right? Yeah, Riley Johnson had like two at bats last week. So I'm really on opposite ends of the spectrum so far. But limited chances. I, you know what? I'm going to call that an incomplete. I'm not going to say it. that you missed there. I'm, I think he's he's. He's dealing with an injury, so I feel like it's not fair to hold you. Hold and you. I, I also thought – I mentioned earlier that I was surprised that the lineup was the same all three games over the weekend. You know, I figured that outfield spot especially, you know, Nowak might get out there one game, Johnson might be out there one game. It might be three different outfield combinations. It wasn't. So, oh, well. But we'll call it a loss, call it an incomplete, whatever. But on to this week. And I struggled a little bit with this one. And, again, I'm not going to lie, I didn't – start thinking about it until we started recording. You know, it's just whatever comes to me in the moment. And I think this week I'm going to go away from the offensive side of it, and I'm going to go pitching. And I think that one of ECU's starting pitchers, and this I think this will be on the weekend, so Trey Savage, Carter Spivey, or Josh Gross, one of the three of them will carry a no-hitter through five innings. So they will begin the sixth with no hits. I feel like that's a good one. I think we've seen that a couple of times over the last month or two. Uh, Carter Spivey, Trey Savage, but carry a no hitter into the sixth inning. I like that. I like that a lot. That's a good kind of off the wall prediction, but reasonable, doable, but still probably unlikely. But uh, I like that prediction. So uh, we'll see what happens. And also, I'm still waiting for somebody to walk behind that door uh, through. Walk through that door behind you, Jonathan, <laughs> one of these days. Like, it's going to happen during the show. Somebody's just going to walk in. And if it does, we have problems. I live alone. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought about that as you answered. Like, I was focused on the door and not you. But uh, we'll see what happens. Guys, it's been a fun, fun hour, as always, especially when the Pirates are winning. We don't have too much to complain about. So we got to come up with other scenarios. We got to answer uh, a bunch of BS in the comments from Lucy Jones, who's still going on uh, about not wearing shirts. And so we're just going to get out of here while we still can. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast edition, check us out, hoistacolors.net. Subscribe on YouTube as well so you can watch us live, comment, and uh, join the comments section with some of these uh, fun people. Uh, Scott, Jonathan, it's been, it's been a blast, guys. Always. All right. See you guys next week. All right, for those two, I'm Stephen Igo. This has been the Hoist the Colors podcast. We will talk to you next Monday night. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.